Hey, this is Sean from 91.5 FM WLUR Lexington. That is Washington and Lee University's campus radio station. I am back today with another new interview. Last Friday, February 10th, I spoke with Jared Micah, the vocalist and guitarist of the now Seattle-based punk band Vomit Face. We touched on a number of topics, including the behind-the-scenes of the music video for Never Make It, their transition to Seattle, and we finished off with an astrology quiz. We're going to dive right into it. I hope you enjoy. to 91.5 FM WLUR Lexington. I am Sean, and I am joined on the phone today by Jared Micah from the band Vomit Face. Thank you for joining me today, Jared. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jumping right into this, um, for listeners who aren't familiar with Vomit Face, uh, they should know that you are actually the son of a Tennessee preacher. If you go onto your Instagram, you posted recently um, a photo of your family having the word Jesus cross-stitched and framed back home. Um, there's also what appears to be a, a church on the cover of your self-titled EP. Is that correct? Yes. I was raised very strictly religiously. Uh, I guess everyone was. It was a very small town in Tennessee. Um, I, I often make the joke that if you want to know what it was like, watch the movie Gummo. Uh, which was actually filmed in Tennessee. So it's kind of like that white trash capital um, of the world. And yeah, so that, that kind of sticks to you. And if you talk to anybody else who ended up not religious after being raised so strictly religiously, they kind of sound like how you would maybe identify a cult survivor and how they're <laughs> trying to, un- well, I mean, seriously, like how they're trying to undo that sort of right mystical thinking still. It's almost like uh, underground uh, sort of elements that contribute to like, OCD or something it's kind of the same mm. origins I think so yeah you start you can't you kind of have that always going in the back of your head even though you ignore it so for that for that reason I've always carried with me this uh, uh, preoccupation I guess with uh, just anything religious uh, I, I think Prima, uh the drummer of Vomit Face is pretty annoyed with it at times I do get censored when we work on songs and there's too much allusion to biblical imagery in the lyrics and if it gets too heavy-handed in that way. The first self-release 7-inch we did that has that church, that was actually in Prince Edward Island in Canada on a, on a pretty comfy vacation, actually. And it's actually a very beautiful, colorful picture, which Preetma over-contrasted uh, when making the cover. But uh, if, if it doesn't say vomit face on it and isn't so, like, darkly contrasted, it's actually a, a very beautiful picture of a old country church. <laughs> huh, that's actually some really good insight. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was going to ask you about how this kind of upbringing has, has manifested itself with, uh, particularly with the lyrical themes of your music. And there's a lyric on the song, If Then, which runs, you know, for, for those listeners who have not yet heard this song, I will pray for you. I will kill your firstborn. It's a brand new day. Have you hugged your kids yet? Jesus paid it all. And, the, and that loan is gaining interest. Everything I love, everything I hate, everything. 
hanky panky, please and thank you, eat it up, amen. So it sounds like that one got through the censors. <laughs> yeah. That whole process was simultaneously fun and filled with anxiety. <laughs> and we spent too much time. We were rushed. There was all these conflicting sensations. The label we put out that second EP with was sending us to go record with Albini. And uh, he was only available like for three days. And so we were rushed to finish the material and uh, get everything done in his studio in three days. Most of the record was recorded live for that reason. The third day we didn't even record, he just mixed it. So it was all very rushed. And then you're dealing with the sort of overstimulus of being in uh, a studio that kind of serves as a um, museum of all the records he grew up on because he still has like the bass rig that the Jesus Lizard used. He still has the rack reverb that Pixies have on Where's My Mind. You see a lot of... I saw Silkworm's kick drum. You're, you're oh, just dope. a little bit too much and you're not paying attention anymore. <laughs> so those lyrics, that song, we learned to play right before we got in the van to go to Chicago. It had never been played at a show. The band themselves had never heard me sing it and they did not know what the lyrics were. So on this record, I did get to do a few things that might have been... <laughs> Uh, vetoed had it been a discussion but it was all <laughs> I was able to just I mean they were in the control room hearing shit for the first time so looking back it has that sort of uh, charm to it but I, I also think in retrospect it would have maybe you never know if it would have helped had you had more time to workshop it or sometimes when you overthink it uh, it's just a really weird record in that sense that it's not overthought it's, it's very much a an instant I actually had a question. You you brought up Albini, and I was wondering if you could maybe share a little more about kind of what that process was like working with him in the sense of, you know, you've already mentioned that he was kind of pressed for time. So was it a kind of situation where you came in and you almost had something like uh, Pulp Fiction where you have uh, Harry Keitel's character come in and say, like, this is what you're going to do, X, Y, Z, don't waste my time, um, or... <laughs> Did you have more of a, you kind of, you, did you come in with kind of an idea of, of what you were going for and then he was able to provide some insights? Yeah, um, I guess there's all these legends and myths about the process with Albini and how that story goes, I think, is strictly dependent on the ego of the artist. I've heard people say he was just on his phone the whole time, so they were mad that he didn't give them the attention they thought they needed. I think what that's really more about is they felt they should be edified more and congratulated for what they did. One thing about Aldini is he does draw a very distinct line in the sand about his role as an engineer and not a producer. I think that was one thing with even in utero that the major labels came back like, I thought you were producing this. And he goes, no, I was engineering it. They did whatever they wanted. I didn't make creative decisions. So he won't go as far to even say... Like, if you're like, is that tape good? He'll respond like Socratically, are you happy with it? And it's really frustrating <laughs> in that sense when you doubt yourself. But his whole shtick, or whatever, I wouldn't call it a shtick, but his whole thing is, or philosophy is, he gives a band the best case scenario as far as audio quality. Like his room sounds beautiful. His mics are beautiful. 
In fact, when you're just mic testing the drone kit and he turns on those room mics, you start to hear the kit and you're like, oh, those are those Albini records I grew up on. I love how you do doing that. But yeah, he, he's basically giving you the best case scenario to sound like your band sounds. We even asked, well, should we, we had an engineer complain once that Preetman's drum was too thunderous and resonated too much because it was too low. And this guy recorded a lot of Andy Wallace sounding records with that slappy kick. I mean, I, I even love black metal, but I hate those slappy kicks that sound like I'm uh, uh, thumping a sheet of paper. Right, right. Up. So we actually like that thunderous boom. And uh, I mean, he made a joke like, if someone complains that they can't record the instruments you play, then they're the asshole. So we, that, that kind of lightened the mood because we were nervous as, as soon as we got in there. Because we're kind of self-identified amateurs. We, we self-record, we play punk DIY warehouses. We started by self-releasing because we didn't have any of the sort of connections a lot of bands uh, who've been in the scene had. So um, something like that was a little, you know, it, it, there's a lot of anxiety going in. But he, he put us to ease really quickly. He was, he's incredibly uh, professional and uh, sincere uh, and helpful. Uh, if he sees you have any nerves, he, he eases that. And in that sense, he's a really great guy. Intelligent, funny, charismatic. I think the reason we didn't leave, like a lot of bands leave, thinking, well, what a, you know, what a dick, is that I think we're kind of on a wavelength as far as a personal opinion and aesthetic goes, um, and we don't, we don't really disagree. And we also are the types who, uh, we say a lot of things, we talk a lot of shit, and we stand by it. Because if, if we said it, we're not, we don't, we don't, we don't like people who backpedal. We like people who own it. So for that reason, we've always had respect for him. We thought he was a courteous, cool guy. Uh, yeah, but you won't, you won't be produced. So up until this point with every record we've put out, we've never been third party produced. For the next record, we're, we're, toying, we're toying with the idea of what that would be, because I don't think it'll necessarily mean a creative compromise or a to take away the integrity of the work because I feel like that's kind of installing a little bit too much importance in what you do because ultimately you're a song and dance, man. Going back a little bit, the music video for Never Make It, which is off of the Another Bad Year EP, for those who've not seen it, opens with a yoga instructor speaking with a class about Dharma and having seen a band over the weekend, which is Vomit Face, um, and how you exemplified fulfilling your Dharma. So... It ends up that you're there at the yoga studio playing for this class while they do their little their little routine. Um, and by the end of it, everyone ends up dressed in black. And there's this surrealist kind of progression where they're like weird clouds uh, of like cotton in the building. Um, how did this idea come about? What was it like working with this group? And, and were these just actors or did you actually go out and manage to find kind of a yoga studio that was willing to, to do this project with you? <laughs> yeah, this will be my first time to talk about that video. Yeah, that's, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a really cool experience. We, I know we've been vocal about criticizing the nepotistic scene of, of New York bands, the rich celebrity children <laughs> who make bands. And us having limited budget, we've always um, done a really great job, I think, of not paying for anything, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is funny because like, which is funny because like Thrasher asked if they could have a song for a skate video and they were like, we can't pay you, but it'd be a great opportunity. And we were like, fuck you. But, <laughs> but, 
but on the other end of that any collaboration we do like uh it's we don't pay really usually um because we don't we don't have any money i mean a couple filmmakers have asked us for a song and we've just given it because we like them and we get handed out tracks for like compilations for fundraisers or for Planned Parenthood. So I think, I think in that way, maybe we got our karma back or however the scores kept. But <laughs> for that, Prima works, her day job involves fashion. And so we have, therefore, a lot of access to photographers and film types. Shruti, that directed the video, was doing some film work for Nylon Magazine, pitched the idea that we do a video and then Nylon could premiere it and then they'll cover the budget therefore. I think they used to do that a lot. They did it for Diary of Planet, did this like Adventures of Pete and Pete intro parody video that was produced and premiered by Nylon. Uh, their, their like film department or whatever was doing a lot of that. So it was, I remember it was a weird uh, thing. All, all I knew about Shruti was that she was friends with Salman Rushdie. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> get all these Instagrams with them. So I was just ready to make some jokes about it. But when we met her, she was at a salon getting her hair dyed. So, so we were sitting in the available stools while she had her head like surrounded by aluminum foil. And right. She pitched this, you know, like, all right, you guys are just playing in a yoga studio. <laughs> and everybody's doing yoga, which I thought was funny because I was going to pitch her an idea. Because like the Sloppy Joe's video, we, we did ourselves. But uh, I was going to pitch an idea that was kind of more funeral-esque and like we were in black and suit. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It was more funerally. And so she made it kind of have a marriage where, you know, Prima has the little veil over her and we're in this corner in this kind of morbid churchy atmosphere. And it slowly kind of leaks onto the yoga atmosphere and it becomes a little more surreal or whatever. Um, But that was, that was mostly all Shruti, how she made that all happen. We showed up not knowing the cellophane clouds or whatever were going to be there. Uh, as for the yoga thing, she knew that yogi who was a real yoga instructor, That's a great. real pro. Yeah, a real pro. And the tone of her voice was even really relaxing to us. We were enjoying her all day. The bass player at the time, Sam, I think his girlfriend and a friend who do yoga showed up. My friend, Jessica who I knew back in Tennessee, who ended up in New York, she's in it. And then there's just kind of, there was kind of a call for other yoga people who, who can make it friends of friends. Supposedly there's some like socialite that I'm just supposed to know who it is that's in there. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> who the hell she is. And I hope she doesn't get too butt hurt that I don't know her. And then I had a friend that I had met while in New York who was, both doing yoga and uh, an, an actor. So I, I was like, hey, you want to be in a video? So she's in there. And yeah, it was, it was a really fun process. I ordered pizza for everyone, but then I forgot these are all like yoga people. So right. like, <laughs> no one was eating. And they had just done yoga for like eight hours trying to film this. So everyone was a real good sport about it. But yeah, it, it, was, it, was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun to, to film it just because we like to shoot videos where we can just play and if there's a concept then it can be around us but we don't want to do like bush's greedy fly where there's like this narrative and we have to like act something out that i think that's really corny and a band should just be playing their instrument so we can always do that but with the senior pictures video they're asking us to like walk around 
and we were all like really not having it because it's really uncomfortable and unnatural. <laughs> uh, we had to get drunk before we do it. So you you are watching us just like drunk. And oh, because otherwise we'd be too self-conscious. Like, I, I don't get to hold my guitar. And they were like, just walk through the hall and look cool. And you're like, this is mortifying. This is so stupid. So, yeah, I have guys shouting, be cool, be relaxed. <laughs> and they're walking around trying to get a cool shot of me. And we're just in a sh- like this shitty warehouse hall outside of our bass player, Keller. Um, he, he's a partner at Dungeon Beach in Brooklyn. And it, uh, the door in that hallway goes into what is actually a very nice studio, but outside it still looks kind of grimy New York warehouse. Um, so the, the shots where we can just play, like we're fine, we'll just play and we're already drunk anyways. But yeah, walking through the hall and posing. Um, that's why when we have to do it you'll always see us wearing the most ridiculous clothes they're like well, what do you want to wear that's cool and we'll always go like way too rock and roll cliche just just to kind of laugh at ourselves in the process it makes for some excellent laughs for sure moving on though and again returning to i suppose your recent transition to seattle you've been jumping around a lot it seems i think there was a move to toronto thrown in there and so I was wondering if you could share about, you know, how this process has gone so far and maybe, you know, what you have coming up in the tunnel. Yeah. So we were always kind of hating on New York. Uh, we've always been unkind to it as how we, as far as how we painted it. Technically, most of us were living in Jersey. So we would identify as a, a Jersey band so that we wouldn't have to kind of assimilate into that um Brooklyn stigma but uh we were always trying to get out of there the label that just put out this new record is based out of Seattle there's a job opportunity for Prima in Seattle and then we thought oh what 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 luck our label's out of Seattle we can live there it'll be it'll be nice and the job actually got postponed indefinitely for a while so we decided just to go up to Toronto we we knew some bands there there was stuff we could do we just wanted to be out of New York so we were in Toronto for a little while, and then the Seattle thing finally opened back, and we in, we ended up getting to come here. That's the short version of it. it. It's a lot of again, we're not we're not like one of those working quote unquote working musicians. Like we're we're not selling the kind of records where we don't need day jobs. So moves are usually more on a on a on a personal employment thing, and not so much um, band decisions. Right. Uh, so um, we want to take it a little slower for the new record now. We're, we're, we're kind of uh, adjusting. We just got Seattle. I've been here about a week or two now. So we got a rehearsal space in place. We're going back to picking up where we left off and working on the material we started in Toronto. We have enough ready for a record, but we're just still working on it. We want this one to be like a, a big one. Again, like we rushed every record up until this point. They were always just these uh, explosions of stress. And we wanted to see, like, if we just gave ourselves time and space to breathe, um, how that would come out. Uh, so we're, we're not in a rush right now. Again, I, I mean, we just put a record out a, a few months ago. So um, there's, there's no longer really that much of a rush. Uh, while we're in the West Coast now, since we didn't get to come here as much since we were an East Coast band, we will be planning a West Coast tour very soon. 
we're going to play a little bit around Seattle and Portland just to kind of get ourselves acquainted with the Northwest a little more as locals. And uh, by the summer, we'll uh, be back on the East Coast. I was wondering, given the political climate, given the transition to Seattle, how you and Preetma um, have kind of managed to balance or navigate the space between what I suppose you could say, you know, your your mu- the musical part of your lives and then the quote-unquote everyday part and, and just how you either you as individuals or Vomit Face as a group has kind of uh, taken approach to to things in the world today. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a, that was a good question. Usually I get, what's your favorite color? Why'd you name your band Vomit Face? Um, Those will come later, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I don't want to put words in the mouths of other members. For sure. But for for me... The personal and the professional or, or, or the part of me that's me and the part of me that's in a band is, is pretty heavily, heavily blurred now. Prima and myself consider ourselves like educated, responsible citizens. We vote. We've worked in social work. Prima is actually a licensed lawyer in the state of New York. She's done pro bono work for underprivileged women. I did some work as a union organizer, uh, some housing first things for the homeless. We, in that sense, are very political people. The band was never intended to be very, very political. If you look at stuff like our social media or whatever, what you're seeing is a login that's accessible to people in the band. And so they start talking as people and sharing things that are of concern to them. You're not really seeing things of the band or like the band taking a political stance. I think our songs are actually very personal. And I think that's important. That's the kind of music I grew up on. So I think it's good to have personal art in the climate of where everything can get really uh, preachy and didactic. Um, I was wondering if we could do a brief post-interview game. Um, and my lead into this, and, and you can you can certainly decline once I do this, but um, <laughs> on Eastern Block Party, the last track on Hooray For Me, there is a lyric about Mars still being in retrograde. So I was wondering if you would want to do an astrology quiz. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's actually Mercury, not Mars, that's in retrograde. Oh, right, right. You're so correct. There we go. That was actually a trick question. But no, I, I yeah, I can't believe I, I messed that up going into that. It is Mercury no, that's cool. in retrograde. That's cool that you're into it, too, because we, we, we get made fun of a lot. Uh, we... We were pushing our label to let us release it on the date it was so we would actually miss Mercury going in retrograde. Oh. And they were rolling their eyes at it because it actually kind of stressed them out to do it. That's that's actually really intense, but I, I can respect that. <laughs> so I, I assume I, I have high hopes for how this is going to turn out. It's going to, what I believe is, is going to start out with some fairly simple stuff and then work its way up. Um, so the first question is, how many signs are there in the Western Zodiac? 17, 9, or 12? Oh, man, people would be so much better at this than me. <laughs> um, oh, man, I want to say 12, but that's just the amount of months. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's go with 12. There you go. You're correct. He's going to be so mad she missed this. <laughs> Question number two, which one of the following is not a fire sign that is a virgo b sagittarius or c aries virgo sagittarius 
Virgo. Yeah, there you go. Two for two. Uh, cool. So question three. Uh, the signs that fall into this elemental category are most closely associated with emotions in the zodiac. That would be A for air, B, earth, or C, water. I'm going to go with water. There you go. Three wrong? for three. Number four. I actually don't know a lot about. Actually, I, I never mind. I was about to say I don't know a lot about water signs, but some of the most traumatic relationships I've ever had are all water signs, so that explains a lot. Okay. Amen to that. That is a uh, <laughs> cancer is ruled by the moon. Um, but yeah, uh, water, emotions, tears. It's very all together. Uh, yeah, uh, Prima is actually a Scorpio, so that's where all of our piss and vinegar come from. Ah, there you go. There you go. My my mother's actually a Scorpio. My mother's a cancer, and I mean that in two ways. <laughs> that's that's actually my favorite that you can use that about um about cancer. <laughs> uh, it's it's a little it's a little twisted, but it's it's kind of fun. <laughs> so number four, um, which of these celestial bodies rules over the sign Aries? That is A Mars, B Venus, or C Pluto. This one's hard. You're getting deep. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking what is over air sign? Uh, the sign Aries. 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 Yeah, okay, the sorry. ram, I believe. Or is that Virgo? I may have totally screwed that up. Um, but yes, it's, it's Aries. Aries. And my choices are the moon? Uh, the choices are Mars, Pluto, or Venus. Is it Mars? It is Mars. Yeah. That, that was a total guess. So I don't, I feel bad about even taking that. Hey, though. that is okay. You're I mean it's 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 the results that matters, right? 4 yeah. for 4. Uh final one. Don't we have like a, don't we have like some sort of compound situation <laughs> about to happen like a like a comet full moon eclipse? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's tonight actually. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's why we're getting all these right, right? Oh, there you go. Yeah. I like that. It's very, it actually is kind of nice how this worked out then. Very, very pertinent, very topical. Very topical. <laughs> so, final question. This is for a perfect score on the WLUR astrology quiz. Um, which of these signs, which of the following signs is represented? by the scales so each sign is associated with um generally it's an animal but it doesn't necessarily need to be uh scorpio the scorpion for example but the scales are represented by either a capricorn b libra or c pisces by elimination i'm going to say libra yeah there you go five for five Nice. nice That that brings me so much joy, actually. It's yep. It's 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 uh the universe ordained it. Let's go with that. Thank you for that. Thank you for um taking the time out of your schedule uh to speak with me. And yeah, I'm I'm eager to to see what, what comes next for, for you and for Vomit Face. Oh, thanks thanks so much.
I'd like to thank Jared again for taking time out of his schedule, especially during this transition to Seattle for the band, to speak with me last week. Uh, you can go check out Vomit Face's full-length debut record, Hooray For Me, which came out on Help Yourself Records on August 26th of last year. The band has a limited edition clear vinyl version of the LP, which you can buy for $15 on their Bandcamp. That would be vomitface.bandcamp.com. You can also catch them here by listening to 91.5 FM WLUR Lexington.